0: I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. Hello and welcome to CityPunk, interactive discussions for film lovers. I'm Rachel Kelly and with me are Robert J.E. Simpson. Hello. And our producer, Ben Simpson. Hiya. This episode, nobody's perfect.
1: <laughs> what?! Osgood proposed to me. We're planning a June wedding. (laughs) What are you talking about? You can't marry Osgood.
0: You think he's too old for me? Jerry, you can't be serious.
1: Why not? He keeps marrying girls all the time.
0: But, But you're not a girl, you're a guy. And why would a guy
1: want to marry a guy? Security. So, yeah, so we're recording this um for February. Uh, so love is very much in the air right now. And uh we thought that for the next couple of episodes, we were going to kind of embed ourselves fully within the world of romance on screen.
0: So obviously for our, our look at romance, we are talking about a cross-dressing comedy from the 1950s.
1: To be fair, it's a, an Oscar-nominated cross-dressing comedy from the 1950s. oscar Oscar-winning
0: uh, comedy, o-
1: Oscar-nominated,
0: Oscar-winning as well. well w- they yes. won one. <laughs> it won one <laughs> best black and white scene or settings <laughs> or something like that. It was one of those consolation Oscars. Like, yeah, didn't you do well? Pat on the head. Uh, we normally you do for six. You have the rubbish one, um, but but they did win.
1: Yeah, and they they done very well at the Golden Globes as well before that. They did that. very they, well at the Golden Globes. They kind yes. of sweep the board with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. it is one of those kind of odd films so we are talking about Some Like It Hot the 1959 Billy Wilder film starring
0: Marilyn Monroe
1: Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon nicely practice. you think we've done this before
0: uh, plus a bunch of other really great actors that don't necessarily have the same kind of star cachet but bring such magic to, to this film and basically most films that are in I think yeah. I mean the, the casting of this film we really need to talk about that some really clever casting in this film um uh, just parts of the layers and layers of meaning um, encoded into this. I think it's probably one of the smartest scripts to come out of Hollywood. Um, you know that I kind of balk at the idea of it being the greatest film comedy of all time. Um, I, I think that's probably a fairly controversial opinion, since everybody but me seem to think that it is, and I think it isn't.
1: But- well, I mean, that's no different from that, that line of thought that for years said that Citizen Kane was the greatest film ever made and then has turned more recently to Vertigo. Neither of which, I, I would argue, is the greatest film ever made.
0: I would argue strongly against you there. Ooh, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, sometime soon we'll talk about Citizen Kane and why you're wrong and I'm right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but this has been nominated multiple times as as sort of the best comedy film ever. And... I don't know. I mean, it's, it definitely is sharp. It's funny. It's mm. it, it's witty. Um, so, uh, Ben, you, uh, our, our producer, Ben, is normally uh, an active participant as there are our, our token member of the public. Yes, I am. Yep but you are very quiet this evening. You haven't seen this, have you? I have not seen this film. Do you know anything about Some Like It Hot? I know, I, I know nothing.
0: Ben, could we persuade you to go and see Some Like It Hot if we were to tell you that it was um, a film from one of the most repressed decades in human <laughs> history that was about two guys dressing in drag and there were overt hints of homosexuality and lesbianism?
1: Uh, probably not. If, no? if, if, if I said that it had Marilyn Monroe in a negligee from most of its... Running time. Um, if I knew what a negligee is, it's kind of like sexy undies. Sexy you, undies. You it's actually pretty much translucent, see-through undies. You
0: can pretty much almost see everything. Oh, there is in nips. a number of scenes. There is
1: nips. I've definitely seen the nips. Are,
0: have you seen nips? I did not see nips.
1: She's not wearing a bra. It's a, she's the, definitely
0: not wearing a bra. No, no. I mean,
1: you can, you can, you can kind of see. She's, she's definitely alert. Right. Okay. You sold sold yet? Uh, I don't know. You know who Marlon Monroe is, right? Uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Miss President.
0: Yeah. 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 Yes. Tony Curtis in Lipstick and High Heels.
1: We're really not selling on this yeah. one at all? It doesn't seem like we are, no. Okay, so how about if I told you it's not just a sex comedy, it is also a gangster film? Uh, yeah, that might persuade me a little bit, yeah. Okay. And I think that's the essence about Sound Like a Hot. It is kind yeah. of a real mix of... Of of sort of genres mm. and, and vibes and and, and sort of um, yeah. Mentalities. When
0: I say it's one of the cleverest films and the cleverest scripts to come out of Hollywood, I think I'm thinking about much more than than just the the banter, which is second to none. I mean, it's, in terms of the screwball banter, I think it's it's right up there. Um, but it's more than just the the jokes, and it's more than just the performances. It's it's that the layers upon layers of, of meaning that that are kind of written into this. I mean, it's the pastiche of the. Gangster film. It's.
1: Well, th- th- let's talk about the gangster element first because actually, I mean, I was re watching this again this morning in preparation it's for the show. a great
0: show. Sunday morning film.
1: A fantastic Sunday morning film. I missed uh, mr trick then, yeah. Yeah, ne- but next Sunday, you know, we're not recording, so next Sunday morning. Okay, yeah. Just, yeah, you know, I'll give it a watch. Recommend but it. Maybe we'll come back to it and uh, hear uh Ben's wonderful opinion on the I, I think we probably should. I think we probably should. <laughs> but, but I was watching it again, and it's the thing that I always forget about this is that actually the first half. The, the first half an hour and the last half an hour are the gangster film. It's
0: proper dark as well.
1: But you spend a lot of the time, you get because the gangster film kind of goes away, you spend a lot of time actually absorbed in, in, in the romance mm. and the sex mm. comedy. And you forget that actually there's a gangster subplot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, in the, the first, what, 15, 20 minutes, we actually see um, a, a, a garage full of men machine gunned to death after begging for their lives.
1: And it's like proper machine gun fire as well. You're watching yeah. that this is a... You know, you watch kind of gunfire in films. It tends to be kind of like they shoot. You're aware there's a bit of smoke off the end of the gun and somebody's lying there in the ground. You sort of miss the gunfire. But this is proper gunfire that, mm. that lights up the screen with its explosive force. Mm. It's
0: really quite disturbing. Um, I think one of the, the, the bits that, for me, I go good grief, is this really a comedy when the, the guy's putting petrol in the car, uh, Spatz turns around and goes you too, go and come and join us mm-hmm. and this guy basically has to walk across a garage knowing he's walking to his death it's actually kind of horrifying, I mean the, the, it's not a bit of wonder I think that um, you know the first test audience walked out essentially. Oh, let's go see a Billy Wilder comedy. Hang on, what? If I walked into the wrong theatre here? Why am I watching a black and white car chase with people getting machine gunned?
1: And this this is also worth bearing in mind, this is nineteen fifty nine. Mm. This was this was released. Okay, so by nineteen fifty nine, most films that are being released come out in colour. Mm. Marlon Munro's contract actually had said that this she would only appear in colour features. Um but apparently she had seen um she'd been persuaded. That actually black and white was going to work really well for this and they'd done test shoots with Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Right. Their makeup apparently made them look rather ghoulish.
0: Yes, partly it's like the green tones so and you, colour. <laughs>
1: so if you ever look at any of the colour photographs, you can see how they, they really look like The Walking Dead. I
0: actually didn't think that they did. I think they, I mean, I think part of me thinks it is actually quite a shame that it was shot in, in uh, black and white. I think the colour um, photographs that I've seen of it, it there's a I don't know, there's a joy and but, but, exuberance to but it. But I think
1: there is also something here about um so this is nineteen fifty-nine, but this is set in nineteen twenty-nine, mm. so as well, that black and white is much more evocative of that That's true. Uh, that that early sort of era. You mm. know, this is the, the bootlegging in the in the United States, this is uh Valentine's Day Yeah
0: Prohibition It's
1: Valentine's Day This is actually
0: (laughs) Yes that's right It's the Valentine's Day Massacre Massacre. Well heavily heavily hinted at
1: Yeah Um, Yeah. So it is quite a nice It's appropriate that we're recording this in February Um, Yes
0: That's true Yes this is our Valentine's Day episode Cross-dressing and massacres
1: Sounds perfect (laughs) I hope my real Valentine's Day lives up to it There you
0: go That's set the bar pretty high
1: It has indeed But yeah it it is a really really kind of dark Um Gangster movie and mm. it? It, it's it's pretty gruesome. George Raft is, is
0: he's he's scary. I mean the 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 ice cold uh, demeanor that I mean obviously he's um, I think it's what what kind of gets lost on a more modern audience is the fact that um, there was all sorts of layers of referentialism there um, where. He's sort of well known, um, to audiences of an earlier generation mm. as as this kind of gangster actor, um, and then sort of reprising that neat little touch where he kind of he he references his his turn in Scarface, which is lovely. I
1: said yeah, so George Raptors he basically has this routine where he flips a coin. It's called flipping the coin. You've seen any? You've seen this done in gangster movies? I take it, or no, the only kind of gangster I'm thinking about is like two. You know, Harvey Dent, Two Face. Okay.
0: Oh yeah, well he kind of does that, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: You, you'll you'll see it as well. It's in in cartoons and stuff that parody um, kind of gangster movies. You tend to get the the bad guy. There's either the, both of the examples mm. you'll see in some like a Hot, There's the guy with the the matchstick in the mouth. That's mm. kind of like matchsticks are quite menacing. Toothpick
0: Charlie.
1: Or you've got uh, the guy flipping the coins. It's like click,
0: clink,
1: clink, mm. and that's what George Raft used to do in his films. That was his like thing from Scarface. Mm. There's a point where he's going this, and there's a guy. um He's flipping the coins, like, you know, where'd you get that move from? Yeah, <laughs> it's a
0: ridiculous like, thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: got it from you, <laughs> yeah. the
0: lovely little nod. I mean, that's layers and layers of, of references there, which, um, I must basically, I mean, oh, here's a, a question to what extent would we call some like it hot a postmodern film? Oh, uh-huh. this, is,
1: this is more your kind of thing. Than do we want to go
0: down this rabbit hole? Because, yeah, um,
1: I, I, I think it is. I mean, what, one of the things that we were saying before we started recording today is I think this is actually a film that is. About 50 years ahead of its time, Absolutely. really. Absolutely. Um, particularly in terms of the sexuality, which I think is probably going to be the bulk of our conversation today. It's, it's actually going to be about that.
0: I don't think you can have a conversation about something like it hot and not have that be the bulk of the conversation.
1: Yeah, um, because it's, it's, it's rich, it's fascinating. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I postmodern, yes, I think it probably is. This is a very self-aware film. This is a film, as you've already said, there's lots of meta mm. going on in it. It's, I
0: mean, sort of time-wise, it's it's you know it's about a decade ahead of its time then for for Hollywood, isn't it? For for sort of bringing in those postmodern sensibilities. I mean, we're right just on the the last gasp of the studio era before we get all new Hollywood and and postmodern and and sort of French new wave aesthetics mm-hmm. influencing. So, um,
1: I don't want to lose sort of you know um, one of the things that you know we, we've said before. We won't do a cinepunk to sort of remind you that. Being into film and, and being into sort of talking about film isn't necessarily an academic dry mm. um, thing that's going to bombard you with with words you don't understand. So this sort of just strip it back a little bit more. So we're talking about postmodern. And mm. We're talking about being meta. I think what we're we're sort of thinking of as well is this idea of sort of citing, so referencing, so something mm. that most people will recognise from a Quentin Tarantino film, who spends most of his time riffing off other people's films. You know, you play about with um, someone's screen image. So, for instance. We did Jimmy Stewart in one of our first programs You yeah. remember that Ben, yes? Yes Okay, yeah. so Jimmy Stewart, who you hadn't seen before um, Has this images as this Mr. Clean, Mr. Wholesome, Mr. Mister All-America
0: Mr. Everything is alright with the world is so,
1: that, uh, That's a wonderful word That's yeah. the one, yeah Okay Okay. So if you were going to play off Jimmy Jimmy Stewart's character And you're going to play against his type What you might do is have him play in the darkest, evilest character you possibly could Right You're saying you would pick somebody who... Is normally, like, I don't know, like Tom Hanks. Yeah. Right. Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean. Mm-hmm. But you put him as a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one way of doing sort of postmodern. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, it can be just as simple as, as just sort of pointing to a thing that you really, really love and going, oh my God, you recognize that. We've got it in our film and it doesn't really belong in our film, but we love this thing so much that we're, we're going to put some kind of reference in there. Um,
1: Bill Murray in Zombieland
0: yeah, Bill Murray and Zombieland—that's a great example.
1: So Bill Murray plays himself, but he plays against his kind of his self as well. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're playing with the idea of what we think we know about Bill Murray, right? Okay. To make it into something else, it's kind. Of, but this is this is a kind of concept. So, <laughs> as our kind of token listeners, yeah, yes, people.
0: Tropic Thunder—the uh, film, the the film oh, trailers oh. at the start of Tropic Thunder. R-
1: not like R- Robbie Downey Jr. Yeah. playing a. Uh, a black guy
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that was
1: brilliant though i
0: <laughs> was at that film i think i don't know why that's not better loved that we, film
1: we should maybe argue it's case on another. let's argue some. the yeah. case for *Tropic <laughs> thunder. So, so sorry ben you are at, at times are going to be the guy that we're trying to explain this yep. stuff to yep. because yeah you, you remind us to kind of keep this mm. um accessible simple and fun right like i said in the the intro yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um for instance with with some like it hot you've got tony Curtis. who at this stage is is well on his way to becoming this sort of matinee He's, idol yeah yeah but tony Curtis spends pretty much the entire film dressed in drag yeah all right mm-hmm. so this is playing against his type why would you take this this kind of great um guy that basically the women are going to lust after is the idea and instead of having him as a sort of Macho, man, yep. masculine kind of character Yeah, you put him in a dress Put him <laughs> in, in a dress, dress. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um,
1: well, let's, let's talk about Tony Curtis's persona in this one That's a good way to kind of get okay. into Jack Lemmon let's,
0: let's do that, okay um, I'm not a huge fan of Tony Curtis in this film I have to say um, Jack Lemon works for me And I think Jack Lemon makes an incredibly attractive woman, actually um, Tony Curtis's character, I don't really... I don't, I don't get where he's coming from. I think, um, I, 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 I don't think he's a particularly pleasant character. Um, I think the end of it, we were sort of discussing this, I think, weren't we, about how nobody really learns a lesson at the end of some like it hot, but Tony Curtis sort of learns how not to be. Um, a dick to women, uh, because he sees how women are treated, and he doesn't like being objectified, and he doesn't like the way that um, women can have their hearts broken, and he sees that he's done all of this. Um, I I don't th- think he
1: has the the issue with the objectification the way that Jack Lemmon's character does. I think Jack Lemmon really yeah. It, it, it's Tony says something about you know now you know how the other half live. Yeah. Um, it's Jack Lemmon who actually kind of his character who.
0: Well, Jack Lemmon's character is is not the one who was doing all the objectification of women to begin with. Jack Lemmon's character doesn't need to learn that lesson quite as strongly.
1: No, this is true. I, th- I think um, I think Josephine, mm. uh, this is Tony Curtis's sort of female alter ego. Um, I think has a sort of weird relationship with with in terms of that objectification. There is they they kind of f- fall into this um, habit of being a, a proper. A proper lady w- mm. when he's a lady, but he's mm. also, he's also the character that's allowed to be this a man. a
0: lech and, and yeah. Yeah. And he's also, he's, he's kind of the gender police as well. <laughs> um, well, he is. He I is. mean, the, the earliest scenes where, um, Jack Lemon's sort of Daphne character is having the party in the, the, the booth on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's the one going, remember, you're a girl. Okay. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. And then later on in the film, um, where, Jack Lemmon has just accepted a proposal from a man. Remember, you're a boy. You're a boy, you're a boy, you're a boy. Mm. Okay, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy. He's a gender police. Um, I think Jack Lemmon is possibly having more fun as a woman. Um, and I've, I seem to remember reading somewhere that um, when they both came out of their dressing rooms for the first time in, as as Daphne and Josephine, oh. um, Jack Lemmon immediately sort of fell into this kind of, uh, what was it, Billy Wilder? says something like um, he came out sort of grinning like a 20 cent hooker um, and they immediately realised that that's kind of the the bubbly kind of tart with a heart persona that that Daphne was going to have so there couldn't be two of them playing uh, female like that so um, Tony Curtis's Josephine had to therefore be that bit reined back and and the the sort of the proper the lady among the two of them
1: I get the feeling as well from from having read some of Tony's stuff before um, uh, that part of Tony's issue I say Tony, I met Tony Curtis once, did I ever tell you that?
0: You, you, you've mentioned it, yes, yes I would be totally dining out on that anecdote as well by the way
1: laddie down. <laughs> <laughs> It's very nice um, I think when you, when you sort of, uh, I think part of Tony's issue as well though was that his experiences within going into the film industry as a man um, and being a pretty boy mm. as well was that actually he had that experience first hand of that objectification of having been um, chatted up by other Predatory males um, I, 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 I. I'm sort
0: of, I'm sort of going to go Crimea River here because Marilyn Monroe was also in that I'm, film.
1: Absolutely. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll come yeah. into that as well. But, but I think you know we're we're talking about 1950s. We're talking yeah. about kind of that male, that 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 kind of male and the objectification. We're talking about kind of uh, one's response, but also possibly that informs the way that then one portrays that character, or at least our knowledge of that allows us to read this in a certain way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Jack Lemon's character, by the end of the film, I mean, I said this earlier. Jack Lemon's character believes he is a woman. He has yeah. forgotten,
0: yeah,
1: how yeah. to be a man.
0: Yes, I, I don't know that I would necessarily go as far as you would with with the reading of that character. Although I think you know, I totally see where you're coming from here, and I don't, I don't think it's wrong. It's just that's not quite how I would read it.
1: No, I, I absolutely. I mean, we, we, when you're looking at Jack's, um, when you're looking at Daphne, yeah. Okay, So, so Daphne. I mean, first of all. He takes ownership of his character. He changes the name from Geraldine to yes, Daphne. Yes, that's he, true. He never
0: likes the name Geraldine. So he becomes.
1: <laughs> he actually decides right early on that mm. he is going to become a woman. It's his idea.
0: Yes, and it's not even. It's not sort of. It's less of a sort of a let's transform out of necessity. It's more of a okay, let's transform out of necessity. But I'm actually going to kind of make this the the persona that I want it to be. Uh-huh. And and Daphne is very much a creation of of um somewhere between necessity and, and, and sort of having fun with it. I mean, it's a much more fun character than Josephine. No,
1: and when, he, when he's in that train having that party, I mean, mm. he, he, at that point, he still remembers his masculinity because he says, you know, I've, I might have a bit of a surprise for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Put hair then,
0: on your chest. Oh, don't <laughs> spoil the <a> surprise.
1: <laughs> see what I'm doing. No nights. We don't want them to know we're having a party. <laughs> but I need to steal something. So spill it. Spills, thrills, laughs and games. <laughs> this may even turn out to be a surprise party.
0: What's a surprise? Uh Not
1: yet. When? Better have a drink first. I'll put here on your chest. No fair guessing. (sighs) You know, so he's sitting there, and obviously he's very aware that he is a man. He's got all these very attractive women around him, and uh, you know we know what the inevitable surprise is going to be if you bunk up with a guy who's pretending to be a woman, uh, and that's very definitely hinted at. There is a very obvious sexual connotation to this, uh, and I think you know at that point he remembers who he is. Mm. Now you've got then got Tony Curtis's um Josephine being gender police, mm. although she is peering through a series of women's legs into the space, and it's very handsy, and it, it, to me it feels like there is a. I guess there's a familiarity that you can do as a woman, but when you're aware that this is a guy who's dressed as a woman, there's a kind of um, inappropriateness about that as well.
0: Yes, I agree with you, but I think that the persona that that, uh, Josephine has decided to embody is is almost like the maiden aunt um, persona, which... I don't know. I mean, what you're saying about about Jerry and and Daphne, sort of uh, Jerry becoming Daphne, effectively. I think I think that's, I think that's actually yeah. I mean, I like I said, I do I do agree with you because uh, there's the sort of that is the only alter ego that that Jerry has is Daphne, whereas uh, Josephine's has, alter has ego has yeah Junior as well.
1: So to take this further, I mean, Daphne not only just becomes that. I mean, you see when he has that. So they have their dance. There's a point in the film where
0: that tango scene is fantastic. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Tony Curtis is playing his second character within the film, Junior, who is this kind of um, multi-millionaire uh, who with the voice of Cary Grant, and he is sitting there with a uh, Marilyn Monroe in this yacht, and he's sort of having this uh, rather eroticized, um,
0: very, seduction. very steamy make-out session on the yacht. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> oh,
1: we, we absolutely need to. So they they're doing this, and then that is cut between. Um, Daphne on this dance floor with this uh, older millionaire called All's Good. Uh, so Is Junior Daphne? No, Junior is Tony Curtis, who's also Josephine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it a little bit confusing. It's, with this.
0: it's practically Shakespearean in the amount of different characters that everybody is playing.
1: Right, okay. But Jack Lemmon only ever plays Daphne. Right. Okay. Um, or, his, or Jerry. Or Jerry, yeah. his male self. Yeah. Or, but Daphne's, so Daphne is having this, this rather, um, rather reluctant. He's gone on the date, first of all, and he's, he's doing this dance now at this Cuban place and he's shaking these maracas, um, which in itself is a bit of a, a
0: yeah, he's it, shaking his maracas, <laughs> suggestively. It's a, it's a euphemism.
1: So he's doing that. And then eventually, you know, the, it cuts between these two and gradually until the point where, where Daphne and Osgood are the only two left on that dance floor. And by the time they get back to the, the, the hotel room at the end of the night, Uh, Daphne is still shaking the maracas on the bed Still enjoying the moment and living it
0: Mm. Um and and so Tony Curtis's character comes back from having romanced Marilyn Monroe's character on the yacht, coming back in and um Daphne's lying there shaking her maracas on the bed and singing the humming the, the tango tune and and uh, Daphne's engaged. Oscar has proposed and Daphne's delighted about this, um and and literally cannot see any reason why this might not be okay. Um and Tony Curtis's character keeps sort of firing these objections. You know there are laws, there are conventions. You know you can't marry him of course you can't marry him um, and Daphne is is completely oblivious to the fact that actually the reason they can't get married is because they're both men. I mean she keeps saying things like oh okay we need to get his mother's blessing of course but she won't mind because the last one smoked and I don't smoke and um, it really I mean it's, it's, it takes to, uh, Tony Curtis's character to turn around and go You have to repeat after me. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. And he goes, oh, fine. Yeah. When am I ever going to get a chance to marry a millionaire again? (laughs) Thanks for ruining my life. (sighs) Um, And there's literally no sense in which she kind of understands. She, he understands that that actually she can't get married to Osgood because she's not Daphne. She's Jerry.
1: That exemplifies exactly what I'm arguing is that actually um, Jack Lemmon's character totally disappears into. Becomes Daphne. I mean, uh, to the point where. I'm gonna spoil the last scene of the film for you. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Most people who have watched this, will have noticed, but
0: well, the, the episode title spoilers the last scene. <laughs> so I
1: suppose the last, the last line of the film is nobody's perfect, oh, okay, right? Okay. 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 Um, but basically, what is happening is that they've skipped. They're on this little boat and Jack Lemmon's character, still in full drag, is having this conversation with all's good on the boat and he's explained to him, finally coming clean and saying this is why we can't get married. And he goes to a list, you know, it's like, um,
0: it's, I'm not a natural blonde. I lied. I smoke. I'm a terrible, terrible, sort of slatternly woman. I've been living with a male saxophonist for the for past three years. years. Um, I forgive I can, you. <laughs> yeah, I can never have children. We'll and adopt. <laughs> um, and then finally, he kind of tears off the wig and goes, Oh, Osgood. I, I can't get married to you because I'm a man.
1: Nobody's perfect. It's just like Roll this. Roll
0: credits. It's
1: but it's this acceptance of the fact that you have this point, And he's sort of looking there. And you, you could see it just as the credits come up. Jack Lemmon kind of looks at him. I kind of realises. What he thought was going to be the issue isn't an issue at all and clearly I, I, I firmly believe by the end of that film they're going to get off and get married
0: yeah I kind of want to see the what happens next because it's all well and good having everybody kind of reconcile and Milo Monroe's Monroe's um, uh, sugar cane oh it's fine I forgive I forgive you um, Joe you oh, she's rakish not, character she's not
1: even interested in forgiving it's like actually he is exactly the kind of guy that she has said earlier on yeah. she is always attracted to and she is embracing that It's just like, tell me more because that's exactly what she wants to hear
0: well yeah yeah um i i suppose that's what i mean when i say that nobody really gets what's coming to them at the end of it and i think this is this is something that really fascinates me is that um sort of doing some some reading um i saw an article suggesting that had this film been made today i mean for one thing the, the gender um bending thing wouldn't be quite as shocking at all um they wouldn't. That ending couldn't happen today. Today, that reveal would have had to have happened around about the midpoint to change the stakes of the story, and then sort of the the middle sort of section would have been the the sort of protracted apology and and trying to forgive each other, um. And by the end, you know, the climax would have been how everybody learned to forgive each other for lying, um. And that's a completely different film, and that completely robs it of that that joy and exuberance of the ending, where it's just um, nobody has learned anything. Everybody's just Doing exactly what they've always done, and off they go into the, the sunset. Um, and and Jack Jack Lemmon's character is probably now going to live as a woman.
1: Oh, but everybody is duplicitous in this film.
0: Everybody is. I mean, it's, it's very Billy Wilder in it's, that respect. Like,
1: uh, you cannot trust absolutely everyone who who's a character in this film has sort of double life. Mm. Um, from the the gangsters who are presenting themselves as upstanding businessmen or opera lovers, from the the police who are kind of going undercover. Um, you've got these guys Not very
0: convincingly undercover, no, of course, but, th- but,
1: but there is an undercover element to yes. it. You know, to the informers, you've got these guys who are musicians who basically lie to get themselves through life, yeah. uh, as a regular basis. Who end up taking on this mantle of, of of sort of impersonating females in order to kind of get a job and keep themselves safe, um, ultimate witness protection, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But then also within that, you know, you've got Tony Curtis's character who has an additional layer of duplicity by pretending to be somebody else while he's pretending to be somebody else.
0: Hmm. And of course, you know, Marilyn Monroe's character as well isn't exactly truthful. She bends no. the truth according to what what she needs. I mean, she, the, she, the speed at which she's from the uh, Sheboygan Conservatory when she ah, meets Junior ah, is just beautiful. Yeah. And you can see it in his face as well. It's like, so he basically- that's my lie. I told that lie. Uh, recognizing a kindred spirit.
1: She just steals his lies and feeds them back to the person that lied to her, even though she does not realize that this is the person that lied to her in the first place. It's brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in terms of what it does with that, the fact that she is also somebody who, you know, she's an alcoholic who denies that she's yeah. an alcoholic. Yeah, she
0: could quit anytime she wants. She just doesn't want to.
1: You know, and everyone is, is, is kind of multi-layered. That's Marla Monroe. Um, mm. I kind of, we cannot talk about this. Um, I'm
0: not talking about Marla Monroe.
1: Marlena was kind of interesting. I mean, she has this reputation of being a, a useless actress in many respects because she doesn't always remember her lines or her moves. Um, kind of like Tommy was, <laughs> yeah. actually. In, in well, this was,
0: this was the, the film in which that reputation was absolutely cemented, wasn't it? I mean, this was the one where she's famous for not being able to deliver the line, it's me, sugar. Yeah. Um, Taking something like 40 takes because she kept saying, sugar, it's me. Um, But actually, do you know, there's the whole other side of that that's never really told you know billy wilder reconciled with her. he apologized for being a jerk to her on set um and there's actually i mean apparently she had a miscarriage soon afterwards um mm-hmm. and it was widely believed that it was the strain of working on this film so it wasn't it wasn't entirely um her against billy wilder by the signs of things
1: no and as he himself acknowledged i mean she is i mean the camera loves her the audiences love her is she- her
0: comic timing is spectacular I mean, I think that's you know people people forget she may not be the the greatest actress that has ever lived, but the camera as you say loves her um comic timing uh, she she knows where the beats are for the comedy um and she knows how to manipulate that star image and that star image is exactly what carries that character of sugar cane and i think that's very deliberate i mean as as written that character was very much the straight woman the foil for these two comic guys Mm. um and she imbues that character with personality and pathos and sort of she pushes back um against that pigeonholing i mean she she calls herself you know not too bright and but but in fact She is pretty much the sort of the luminescence in every scene that she's in.
1: I I do kind of wonder, I mean, that that whole line about her not being very bright and actually that that, uh, inability to complete takes, Mm. which we know that from other films that she didn't always have that issue. You kind of wonder, is this... And bearing in mind, her acting mentor is one of the Strasburgs mm. who were notorious for kind of their, their, their method acting. You basically become the character. Is that actually what she is doing here? Is she taking that kind of Strasbourgian thing to its extreme?
0: I'm not sure. I, I you think s- she
1: was actually dumb?
0: I, no, I'm not saying that she was dumb. I think by this point she was well into sort of the alcohol and, and drug issues um, and probably... She was sort of in significant emotional turmoil.
1: I just think in terms of uh, in terms of the publicity that it generated by being so awkward on mm. set as well, it does seem to be... Um, it, I just wonder if it's ever so slightly deliberate if she actually... I mean, because Tony Curtis always said that she was much smarter than... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And he was, you know, he's one of those people who spoke very highly of her. Um, she took
0: on the Hollywood system and bent it to her will. I mean, you don't do that if you're not particularly bright.
1: And if you if you see her in the Misfits, her, you know her last. Not seen the Misfits. Watch the Misfits. I will watch she the Misfits. is amazing in that film. I and mean, this is this is supposedly the woman who's you know a total wreck by that point. Yeah. I think if you can pull off that kind of performance, mm-hmm. there is no way that the kind of the persona that is presented in this film, the the person that we know about from the stories, yeah. is actually the reality. Yeah.
0: No, I and I agree. Um, I I just I think she's far too canny. A performer to be that kind of ditzy blonde. I think the ditzy blonde is something that worked very well in terms of star persona. It's mobilised, um, and and it it sort of it, it gets her her sort of place in the pantheon, um, and I think she knows very well how to use it. I mean, that kind of naive sexuality. There's nothing naive about Marla Monroe. I mean, do you know, there's, there's she's not that childlike innocence. Certainly not. She knows how to mobilise her sexuality. And
1: and that character is not naive Benny. any stretch. Of the imagination. And no. she says, you know, uh, when she's on the yacht, you know. I've, I've never been alone with a man at, at
0: Yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, in, in okay, good one, sugar. Well,
1: she adds on to, you know, sort of in the dark, on a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> just, and just then like... it turns
0: out, a, a, sort of a couple of sentences later, that she used to sell kisses for the milk fund. Do you know? So from an early age, she has She's been, been mobilising yeah. her sexuality. She's very good at it. Um, and nobody could do it like Marilyn. Nobody, they, they tried and failed to replace her when she started getting uppity. Um... Nobody took to the public's heart in the same way that Marilyn Monroe. Nobody ever has since.
1: No, she, she's, I mean, every sort every of frame of the film, she's she set out from every other girl in that film. So you have the rest of them are dressed in this kind of puritanical white. She spends most of the film in a black negligee. Mm-hmm. Um, so she already sits out against everybody else. She's standing out from the crowd. Although, interestingly, when you watch both books, her first appearance on screen and that of Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon's characters, they are within group shots.
0: Okay, interesting. So when
1: you come into the, the speakeasy, Mm. At the start you've got sort're of watching this again today, you sort of see Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis are off in the back of the scene, mm. a very busy scene playing their instruments you don't even realize you 've seen them, which for a star's entrance, you kind of think that's very very subliminal and then in the um the agent's office, they see a photograph of the band, and there's Marilyn off to one side in the band oh, interesting. but you I don't hadn't even that. you don't even realize the thing you don't even oh. realize that it's her so you 've seen your stars before you actually see your stars. Normally mm-hmm. when you kind of have big on-screen appearance that that's introduce them to everyone and they get a big glorious close-up, these mm. guys are presented in amongst everybody else. This is an ensemble production mm-hmm. from every step of the way.
0: She still gets top billing.
1: Yeah, and she's yeah. amazing.
0: And she's still, I mean, okay, that's her first appearance on screen clearly, but which, which I hadn't, noticed, but her first actual sort of mobilised and, and physically moving appearance on scene is a knockout.
1: And, it, and it's deeply sexualized. You have these guys who literally are stopped in their tracks watching her. The camera's very aware that they're watching her. And then she is goosed by a jet of steam.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... Oh,
1: is this the one that your dress does? Uh, this, isn't, this isn't that one, no, that's a, a publicity image for something else. But yeah. this this mm. is actually, there's a she's walking past and this jet of steam comes out of the steam engine and she's, whoa Okay. Yeah, jumps.
0: Yeah, it's it's just it's so wonderfully Marilyn Monroe on so many different levels. So yeah, we, we, I think we really need to talk about the the gender politics of *Some Like It Hot*. I don't think we can talk about this film and not discuss the gender politics of it. I mean, some of it stems from the fact that it's. You know, it's clearly a, a screwball comedy, um, and, and they have their very own kind of gender politics, you know, battle of the sexes type of thing. Um, and I think certainly it's true that part of the, the character arc for, um, Tony Curtis's character, as we said, is that, he he goes from being an absolute heel, um, who's quite prepared to use women and 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 use his pretty boy status to to get women to do whatever he needs them to do at that particular moment, and whether that's lend him money, lend him a car, bake him a pizza, um, to to realizing that in actual fact it's not much fun being objectified, um, it's not much fun being subject to the whims of of sort of male caprice, um, and and kind of almost sort of confessing confessing his deceit to, to Marilyn Monroe and sort of saying, you don't want me, I'm the no-good Nick that you've been running away from. But she's almost, you know, that, that love for her has redeemed him and the, the knowledge of having been in the female position has redeemed him somewhat. So it's it's entirely possible um, that he's not going to be that heel in the future.
1: See, I'm not so sure that... Um, I. I think as you say, it's 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 his falling in love that actually changes his attitude. It's not about him experiencing the woman's yeah. perspective. I don't think. I think he's aware of what he does, and he's okay with it. But it's actually he develops a heart. Um, I think it's Jack Lemmon's character who actually goes through some sort of transformation to the point where not only does he feel empathetic, he completely embodies that. Um.
0: You see, I'm, I'm not sure that without the experiencing the female position that he would actually, because there's no indication that this is the great love of his life um, other than um, he sees her, he is attracted to her and he lies to her to, to try and get her into bed.
1: I think he becomes slightly... But, but even though that's initially the, the whole agenda and actually the first person to try and get her into bed is, is Jack, Jack Emerson. of yeah, yeah. um, But I think actually he, he, he's finally very, very restrained as an individual. I mean, actually his, his steamy scene... Uh, with Marilyn also it's a, a deaf play you might want to employ engage us in your own lives gentlemen uh, I, I don't actually think so but uh, he, he, <laughs> yeah. he pretends to be to be a frigid man who um, women do nothing for now on the one hand you've got this sort of air of sort of sexual oppression but the other reading yeah. for that is that this so is another homo- homosexuality
0: absolutely yeah
1: women do nothing for me well Darling, yeah, well, what yes. do you think that is? Why
0: might that be? Yeah,
1: you're spending the whole film dressed as a woman, so you're already engaging with them. And
0: your, your significant relationship is with another man. Uh, I don't know. I, I, just, I see the sequence where um, he goes up to her on stage as Josephine and, and sort of kisses her and says none of that sugar no man is worth it uh-huh. to me that's a really pivotal moment for that character because as far as he's concerned he's worth whatever he wants Um, for the majority of the film um, if, if Joe wants it uh, then he is going to manipulate and lie and do whatever to get it and that's the whole junior character comes around he goes ah Joe see Joe want Joe get um and at that point, um, he's he's actually prepared to say no man is worth it. So he's he's again he's kind of denying that masculine power that he has.
1: Oh, that's, that's that's fair enough. I think I think that there definitely is um, th- there's a there's a blurring of the gender identities mm. definitely. But with both characters both by the characters, end of that film, yeah. I mean, you have him talking in his 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 own genuine male voice to her at that point, and having what is. In some senses, uh, a, a lesbian kiss, and that's how mm. the other characters who are in that room at that point yeah. see it. It's like the
0: Beanstalk!
1: <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, quite, uh, it's quite bold for its time in that sense, yes. although we don't get the equivalent of the male kiss. Um,
0: oh, we just get a, a male marriage. Do you know?
1: Oh, an off-screen male marriage. An
0: off-screen male marriage, but it's definitely going to happen. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also you've got, whenever they're dressed back as, as when there's a point where they, and um, trying to escape the gangsters, they actually then dress up as, as sort of, uh, I think it's morgue attendants. Yeah. And they're no, no, th- they're,
0: they're hiding under the morgue table. So
1: they're, they're running through, but suddenly they're being pushed around the wheelchair mm. and Jack Lemon's character is still wearing the high His heels. High heels, yeah. So yeah. he's still a woman while yeah. he is being a man. And yeah. to the point where that, that flip of the wig and he's still dressed and, you know, yeah. that acceptance, there is definitely a fusion of the gender boundaries within that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Um and that, that, that's really bold for I, I think actually To be fair That would still be That would still bold be bold today
0: now. Yeah that would still And I think Hollywood Would definitely try and fudge that Well um, I think, we,
1: I, think it, it, I think if you're going to have it In a film today um, I think the risk would be That it would be Trump sort of trying to explain it And sort of mm-hmm. say Sort of labour the point of acceptance
0: I think Jack Lemmon's character Would have to have a girlfriend By the end of it I don't think I, I really don't think Hollywood has the courage To end with Nobody's perfect Today well, I,
1: I, I think that well, because that's a judgment call, and they wouldn't let you have a judgment call like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think there'd be the temptation to show this sort of journey into sort of acceptance of oneself as a mm. as a homosexual. Because at the end of the day, Hollywood still has an issue with bisexuality. Homosexuality we can kind of cope with just no, Hollywood about...
0: Hollywood has an issue with homosexuality still, definitely.
1: There is a, generally speaking, there seems to be, I a, a, a guess, talking to the LGBT community, mm. there is still this perception... The bisexuality is something that is not so accepted in a way that homosexuality is.
0: Okay, no, granted, certainly, yes.
1: So we've got this within society as a general, issue. Yes. general. So, so I think the temptation would be to try and um, have a, a, a more straightforward transition from mm. heterosexuality to homosexuality.
0: Like you say, it is that ambiguity. I think of the of the final lines You know, nobody's perfect. Like for me, that also reads as a critique of masculinity within the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and i think again that's again why i think part of tony curtis's character arc is kind of that rejection of um the way men treat women because i mean the, the film has kind of looked at it in in fairly minute detail and for him to come around and and have that kind of uh, change of heart at the end that says look i'm actually no good for you yeah. um because you are all constantly being treated like crap by men, and I have been the man that that has treated people like crap, for that line to be closely followed by "I'm a man, nobody's perfect," for me, kind of says you know this this film is 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 quite critical of masculinity or certainly certain performances of masculinity. Um, and and kind of where you're talking about the fusion of genders, I actually think that's possibly like tell me I'm reading too much into it. But is that not possibly part of the film's message? Is about kind of the the sort of the necessity of not polarizing the genders, but fusing.
1: I I certainly think that's how it sort of comes across, and particularly to a modern day audience. Yeah,
0: if is that you... a modern day reading rather than?
1: Something... I, I think if you were reading this in nineteen fifty nine, the. <sighs> Traditionally speaking, we're going to be shocked. I think. I think mm. most people. I mean, they, they, oh, it got
0: banned, didn't it? Got we, banned all over the place. I think.
1: I think. Clutching no, pearls. The response in the UK would be very different to that in the United States because right. in the UK, um, the idea of sort of the pantomime, I suppose, is the nearest equivalent that we most people would identify. Yeah, yeah. Um, gender performing as as the opposite gender is something that has been a, a part and parcel since sort of the the variety days,
0: well, Shakespearean days. Of course, I mean it, this has yeah. its, its its strong roots in the likes of you know Twelfth Night, and um, but, but
1: it's, culturally it's been something that in the UK people kind of accept like the female mm. impersonation is, is is something that we we get yeah, and we don't question it yeah. Um, in the States, I think it's slightly different. I think there's a little bit more questioning. It's used for comedy effect, but actually female impersonators in a kind of more general sense, I think is a little bit more taboo. I might be wrong.
0: We want to talk to you. What is it? It's about the Florida job. The Florida job? Mm Mm-hmm. Nelly told us all about it. Yeah, we're not too late, are we? What do you have, a couple of comedians? Get out of here. Long distance, get me the William Morris Agency in New York. Well, you need
1: a bass and a sax, don't you? The instruments are right, but you're not. I want to speak to Mr. Morris. Wait a minute, what's wrong with us? You're in the wrong shape. Goodbye you're wrong Chip. What are you looking for? Hunchbacks or
0: something? It's not the backs that worry me. What kind of a band is it anyway? You've got to be under twenty-five.
1: We can pass for that. You've got to be blonde. We, we could dye it. our hair. And you've got to be girls. We couldn't. No, we couldn't.
0: I think you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't spent enough time living in the states to to say one way or another. Do you live in the states? I did live in the states briefly. Yes. I did not know this. Did you not know oh, that? Did you really live I in the states? Lived, yeah, I lived in Boston for a little while. I did not know this. No, not very long, but for a little while. Yeah, I lived and worked in Boston. I did.
1: You not see any drag shows
0: now? I didn't see any drag shows in Boston. No, I did go on a ghost tour though, Ooh. which was awesome. Um, very haunted city.
1: So I, I think that I, th- I think audiences at the day would have been slightly shocked. Uh, certainly by the implicit sexuality. So the Catholic League of Decency, yeah. just said it was morally objectionable. They yeah. didn't ban it; they said it was morally objectionable. Um, yeah, it was. It
0: was banned in sort of various different federal.
1: Yeah. So obviously that kind of, it's, it's the homosexuality you know, that, that causes people the problems. It's not the drinking.
0: Is it the homosexuality? Do you think there was as, as literal a read on the sexual politics as this, this sort of promotes homosexuality? Or do you think it was the cross-dressing and the, the implication there I of think the, non-normative masculinity?
1: I think cro- uh, cross-dressing in order to escape a gunman is probably acceptable. Yeah. Um, I think cross-dressing and then becoming that person and getting married
0: yeah but could we call that homosexuality and do you think the film wants us to call it homosexuality because yes it's two men who are probably going to get some form of married but it hasn't been a case of two men falling in love with each other as two men
1: i think that in um in in today's day and age we we talk about transgender issues so Mm. we cannot do that because this is in the 1950s and transgender issues are not Quite as prevalent as they are today, yeah um it's not, it wasn't a buzzword it wasn't a buzz expression it wasn't yeah. something that was very much on people's minds. um just having recognition of homosexual relationships was still ten years away in the u k yeah okay. so i I think what you have got instead is um and i I think they are men falling in love with each other i yeah. I genuinely think whilst jack Lemon's character becomes Gerald, uh, becomes Geraldine yeah. becomes Daphne. Daphne yeah. Um, completely. Uh it's that world complete. He is still kind of aware of his masculinity because yes. he accepts that at the at the end. I think Osgood's um sort of Nobody's perfect mm. and his dismissal of every excuse, I actually think he is very aware of that sexuality beforehand. I th- I think that he is aware that Jack Lemon's character is a man.
0: I mean certainly that character and the way that character is played incredibly you can incredibly camp. Yes you can read so much kind of uh that 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 sort of it's it's definitely open to a reading as um, a, a repressed homosexual character. Apart from, oh, I the, don't think he's repressed at all. Well, he's had multiple heterosexual marriages, mm. and and he does uh, genuinely seem to leer over women. So there's not even the sense that he was be in he would be in touch with any sense that he might be a repressed homosexual. Um, it's, it seems to sort of come completely out of the blue.
1: He leers over. Uh, Daphne. I don't know that he lives so much over anybody else. Um, I think the fact that he's mentioned seven or eight marriages, he's not entirely, not entirely sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, also, there's the coding. Of he live, you know, he lives he, with his mother. Yeah, he yes, lives with his mother, or he, he very definitely is incredibly close to his mother. Yes.
0: Um, and dominated by and and he does have the, the mannerisms that that's that he's playing those sort of mannerisms for effeminacy. Mm. Clearly, um, you,
1: I, I think undeniably, you meant to read him as a gay man. Do you think so? I, I think so. I'm I, not
0: sure to what extent I agree. I'm not disagreeing. Uh, uh, and
1: I think at that point as well, particularly within Hollywood, lavender marriages are, are something that are not unknown of. So, oh,
0: yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. What's,
1: What's a lavender marriage? Okay, so a lavender marriage is a marriage of convenience, basically. <coughs> it tends to be uh, openly a heterosexual relationship um, between... Uh, usually involving one or two parties that are, in fact, homosexual by nature. Um, But for public appearances, they have to appear to be heterosexual. Mm. It it happened quite a lot. So people like... Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. So he was a masculine kind of man. um, Was, in fact, living homosexual life the whole time.
0: Uh, celluloid closet. mm. It's Uh, fascinating. We we would
1: name some current ones, Ben, but unfortunately we would probably get sued. Uh, Michael Barrymore, for instance. yeah. uh, yeah. Michael Barrymore was famously married for many, many years. You remember Michael Barrymore. So, right, they get married, but they're, they're not... They're, yeah, it'd be like... Um,
0: Elton John. Okay. Elton John was sorry. married to a woman.
1: Right. So, yeah, so Elton John back in the, the 70s was in uh, apparently in a heterosexual marriage. Okay. But as we now know and very well established, Elton John is very definitely gay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, so kinda, we can accept that. Yeah. Got. Got that. Okay. So that's Same a lavender. pictures of him. <laughs> so that <laughs>
0: seems to be very happily married to yeah. his male husband. Yeah.
1: yeah. But you got that. So basically, that's that's a lavender marriage. It's something that hides your true sexuality for the sake of the public's acceptance of your personality Right okay. as a star. So, um I think those seven or eight marriages that he mm-hmm. talks about are lavender marriages. That's why they don't work. I mean, four or five times maybe, but seven or eight
0: Okay. No, I I get it and I get it. That's what a you're lot saying. of alimony. It it certainly is. I get what you're saying. It's a bad and, business
1: deal. And and, and to, to be
0: honest, you know, I I agree to a certain extent, but for the fact that he seems to be so enthusiastic about showgirls.
1: He he he's constantly looking for that one showgirl who has that, that extra that little something. little bit of extra, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I think penis, if he is... Part. Yeah, okay, he's looking for the showgirl with the penis. Um, I think if he is um, a closeted character, he's deeply, deeply closeted. Um, it
1: is. I see, this is where I disagree completely. I, I think he's so surface. I think his closeting is... is I think all the signs there. and
0: signifiers are there, but I don't think he... And I don't think um, the actor is is playing him as a gay man. I think the actor is playing him as a mummy's boy, slightly effeminate. Oh, I
1: I think think he's playing him for camp. Do you? I think it's it's not effeminate, it is camp.
0: It is camp, but camp as in repressed homosexual or camp as in...
1: Camp as in homosexual. I I don't think there's any repression about it. I I think that's why he is able to accept... That character and the fact that there is this pretense of it being a female, I think mm. just makes it all easier. Now, like, this is the point where we should encourage our listeners, um, however many of you there are out there, to actually contact us. I don't care if you listen to this in two years from now. Um, i would be lovely to actually hear what other people think of it because yeah. we clearly don't agree about it.
0: No, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree here on, to the extent I don't I don't disagree with you. I'm just not sure how how much I agree with you. And yeah, I'd love to hear other people's take on this, just to just to see um, who's right. It's me. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but the, but then that's, you sort of you are left because you sort of get into these issues about the sexuality and about the orientation and of the characters. Is what way does that leave um, Jack Lemon's character, Daphne? I mean, is this a, a straight man who has actually just fallen in love with somebody? And I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a bit more than just the objects. I, I don't think it's. Because he I'm, seems genuinely on a high when he's done that dance
0: I think he might have fallen slightly in love with the character of Daphne And I think, I think the character of Daphne um, has been romanced Not necessarily in love, but I think the character of Daphne has been romanced By um, the, the sort of lavish affection I think her head has been turned mm. um, He's still very resistant um very resistant to the idea that 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 this marriage I mean he's he goes back and forward I suppose and when he's initially um been proposed to the character of Daphne I think is very excited to have been proposed to and has been romanced um and has had her head turned mm. by the fact that she has been romanced by this um millionaire who wants to shower her with all of the things that, that women allegedly want. Um he does use and this is the point where I'm not really sure of how I read the way he interacts with Osgood towards the end because he uses Osgood um as a means to an end um and, and is is a little bit sort of reticent about whether or not he's enthusiastic about the marriage.
1: I think um for me, part of that—I mean, he uses him in order to save his own life, yeah. Which I think is a—that's fair a, enough, absolutely. Most yeah. of us yeah. faced with a bunch of gunmen would probably consider lying through our teeth in order to get out of that situation, yeah? yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's also a sense of he's not wanting to upset him. Do you, you think? I—I I, I think genuinely, I think he's—he sort of—I—I I, I think genuinely the character has slightly fallen for Osgood. I just and think- I think it's more than just Daphne because okay. I think it also comes as well as to why not the conversations are had when everyone is dressed as a woman or dressed as a man. Because that mm-hmm. also depends on, on which character you're being at that time. So whenever you have these conversations that are actually had with them half in, half out of the costumes, then I think there's a very different sort of um, mentality at play there. And I think that is also that fusion of the genders. And I think that's, mm. that's where maybe you've got... Um, you actually have genuine emotion, it's like you know it's Yeah,
0: it's... okay. I'm I mean I'm sort of struck by how reluctant he is to give the real reason why they can't get married um and, and how reluctant he is to kind of admit that. That the whole thing has been a sham all along Which sort of, I don't know to what extent That is the the identification with Daphne And to what extent that is The whole, I don't want To admit that I have lied to this This nice man who's clearly in love with me That's a question that
1: happens early on, you know, what about the honeymoon? What are you going to do then? Yeah. Like, we well, <laughs> were talking about the Riviera or yeah, I yeah. fancy Niagara Falls yeah. You know, it's like really It doesn't matter This The sex act Um, whilst it is strongly hinted at elsewhere within the film. Well,
0: yes, no, but he, he sort of explicitly says he's going to get out of the marriage before the sex act takes place.
1: Yeah, he, he makes it seem very mercenary and uh, he, yeah. he talks about the aluminium panels. I never
0: really buy that, though. I mean, the the, the, oh. the more times I see that, I, I hear that line, um, I think that's thrown in just to kind of try and straight wash it a little bit mm. um, in case it just gets that little bit too outlandish for
1: 1959. I, I, I think for me, uh, the ultimate message is is, is actually a, the gender is sort of completely irrelevant. I think that these are characters who find themselves in situations who have to address issues of their own sexuality and who ultimately sort of fall for people that are not who they want to fall for. Their gender is sort of um, actually doesn't matter. And the fact that they they carry out these eroticized acts um, as different kind of people mm. Um, I, I think sort of masks what's really going on.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to pick up on that a little bit just when you talk about the eroticized acts. I mean, this is screwball comedy, mm. um, famously called sex comedy without the sex. Mm-hmm. And yet you have two men doing the tango in it. Now, the tango is as overt an analogue for having sex as has ever <laughs> potentially been encoded into dance. So, really, I mean, effectively, what we're seeing is two men having sex Text. on screen. Mm. Um, and, and the the fact that it's two men is repeatedly underlined because Daphne can't stop leading. So, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> so much, so much subtext there.
1: So he knows. Uh, see, I reckon at that point.
0: You think he probably knows? I, I, I'm, coming knows your, I'm coming around to your line of thinking here, to be honest. I am coming around to your line of thinking here. Um, Osgood is is yeah? He's aware that he's dancing with a man, yeah, he, potentially. He,
1: oh, he knows completely, and he's okay. But for appearances' sake, Daphne has to be open.
0: Okay, I I think that opens up so many questions well, about we know, Osgood We
1: know who the top and the bottom are in that relationship.
0: No, we don't, because Daphne won't stop leading, and Osgood won't stop leading either.
1: We know who wants to be the top in that relationship, but it's also I think both it, of them it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's it is. Uh, very definitely a, a relationship Possibly of e- equality In a way that actually You generally don't have Within on-screen relationships Oh
0: I'm not sure I think Osgood objectifies Daphne I think oh, he objectifies the Completely. hell out of it yeah. yes. So there's, there's, where's the equality there? He
1: touches, it touches her up on the left And, yeah. and Daphne comes up Slaps likes, him across the face yes. And says What kind of girl do you think I am? Mm. I think he knows exactly What kind of girl he is He's a man
0: do you think he's, he's he's picked that up from the ankle thing, the ankle thing on the? the- I
1: He picks it up right from the word go. I, That's I, um, very interesting. I, I think. Okay,
0: was- I'm coming around to your reasoning here. I'm coming around to your reasoning. I'm
1: hoping at some point we get to do a live event. We may even at some point come back to this film because I think that there's... oh, actually- there's
0: so much to talk about with this film. You know, it's I'm- the gift that keeps on giving.
1: I think one thing we, we we should mention is that um was I seen on the on the yacht because we did mention it earlier on in the show. Yeah, okay, uh, and we, we we do need to
0: talk about that. Um, I mean the fact that you have this sequence where there is a man who is pretending to be impotent so that a woman will seduce him, and they. they the, the kissing is so steamy I mean she's she's straddling him she's on top of him she's got her arms all over him they're alone on the yacht as repeatedly alluded to and it's intercut with this sequence of um the, the tango being danced by by Daphne um and Osgood which you know do you it's,
1: even I said it's sex
0: it's sex I mean it is effectively sex happening on screen in a way that that sex can happen on screen in 1959 mm. but apparently sex can also almost happen on screen on the yacht as well because there as near as damn it, actually doing it, they're just not quite naked. But her her dress gives very little to the imagination. <laughs> Do you know? She. And, she
1: I, I think even that cutting back and forwards as well, sort of, is, is sort of suggestive of the thrusting, yeah, that goes within the sex act I as well. Would
0: absolutely, yeah. I hadn't we, considered that, but that's very, va- very valid. Yeah.
1: And we know that this goes on all night.
0: Yes, literally you know, the she, whole night.
1: She says, "You know, it's like you know, good night. Wolf, good morning. It's yes, like this yeah. has been."
0: How much do I owe the milk fund now? Eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Let's make it a cool million. Um, so there's been quite a lot of this going on.
1: Yeah, it's a. It is very definitely a kind of a, a, a very sexualized. It, it, it's it's two two sexual relationships mm. that are happening. It is very carnal, um, and also sort of. Uh, I mean, as she says herself, she's objectifying him. If anything else, you know, he's by being by by taking the role of being the passive. Frigid one. Yes. Um, I don't know. I've just done air quotes and none of you guys can see my air quotes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not a medium that translates well to, to audio only.
1: Quick, Rachel, take a photograph. <laughs> um, so, um, so he, by, by pretending to be frigid, um, she then sort of makes even more of an effort. She basically does she I, does
0: the work of seducing him.
1: Which is, in, in, in kind of Hollywood and in most films, it's, it's the guy that does this. Yeah, so he's
0: actually uh, effectively assuming the passive, you know, he's, he's, air he's, quotes he's the feminine woman. role.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He's, he's the woman for this. Um, and this is what the film does constantly throughout, is actually the men.
0: Is it reading too much to see the, the leg of pheasant as a phallic symbol, do you think? Is that too much? <laughs> I don't. I don't honestly know at this point. At this point in dissecting the film, I don't honestly know if I'm pushing that too far.
1: I need to see the film. Right, so what, I, what I'm going to suggest we do, this is the first time I'm going to suggest this on the show, we need to go back and rewatch this film collectively. Okay. And at some point we're going to do a follow-up. Possibly as a live event, possibly as a podcast. I think this might. would
0: work really well to a live event because I think there's going to be a lot of people with some very strong opinions.
1: So I, I mean, I actually have another conversation about this because I think yeah. there's, there's far too much here. And also I'm aware that... that Um, with the queer reading that really is is done with this film, we probably should bring on some sort of uh, gender experts.
0: I'm right in thinking that the American Film Institute, isn't it, has it as their top film of 100 greatest comedies of all time? How much do we agree or disagree with that? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I... I love it. I love watching it. I enjoy it every time. I get something new out of it every time I watch it. Um, greatest comedy of all time. I think there are funnier comedies, maybe not cleverer necessarily, maybe not as daring for their time necessarily, but I wouldn't call it laugh out loud, fall down, you know side spittingly funny,
1: but then we've also watched it many times, and we are sixty years later. So yeah, our perception more, of this is—is is yeah. we're looking at it from a different cultural um, viewpoint. But this,
0: is, but, but this is from the cultural view, the modern cultural viewpoint. It's being assessed as uh, but, the greatest comedy of all but time. But who,
1: who are those people who make that judgment? Probably much older than us, and probably yeah. also with this acceptance that Billy Wilder is a genius. Yeah. Well, so you have that kind of prejudice as well. Yeah. Um, I certainly watching this again, I was sitting laughing and it is not often that I'm able to watch a film for the dozenth time and go, <laughs> which yeah. I did with this. And I,
0: I have to say I didn't. Um, the more I watch it, the the more impressed I am with how clever it is. Mm. But the it's not that I find it less funny. It's just that it, it, it gets me less strongly every time
1: I guess it's been a little while since I watched it. I mean certainly I, I realise that for some people because of its uh, you know its issues with gender and, and cross-dressing that it may be deemed potentially offensive mm. um, but I actually think because it's so clever and so forward thinking and actually so accepting yes it's, oh
0: absolutely it's, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's rather brilliant
0: phenomenal for 1959 phenomenal even for today in in terms of how it, it presents um, non-heterosexual desire um, but hilarious i'm just i'm just not sure i mean i just i i like the screwball comedy as a genre i like that that battle of the sexes i like the witty repartee um i'm just not sure that there's you know much room in so the past 100 odd years for another comedy about isn't it hilarious these are two men in frocks
1: I, I think it'd be hard to, to do better than this did.
0: Yeah, and I know I'm being reductive saying, you know, this is a comedy about two men in frocks. Um that is yeah. but that is where the central humour derives from. Is look look, isn't this funny? These guys are wearing dresses.
1: Uh, oh gosh, this is it feels like I could go on and on about this one yeah, as well. I, could. I think I think <laughs>
0: I'm, I am. I'm possibly being deliberately provocative point. here, I take your point. I take your point
1: on that one. But I think actually it's far more than just about two guys in frocks. It is, of
0: course, far more than that.
1: Ostensibly, but. that is the first thing that gets you the laugh. It's like, oh my gosh, though, how they're going to cope as women. The reality is they cope as women ridiculously well. They do, and it's not so much of an issue about them being a woman. The laughs are not because they're women. It's the laughs are actually because of the the interplay within life.
0: Yeah, I just, I mean, I that's not. I suppose where my 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 issue with it comes from, and it's calling it an issue is too much. I'm just trying to explore um the this the, so the reverence that it's that's held in as a comedy as opposed to a a very clever piercing uh commentary.
1: As a film, I think it's got great satire. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's beautifully shot. I think it's fantastically directed. It's splendiferously acted. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: agreed on all of those points.
1: And, uh, you know, so we we got that sharpness, you got that brilliant wit that's in it as well. I, th- I think it actually still holds up pretty darn well. Uh, and for a film that's yeah. 60 years old, I, I think that's a rare achievement to do, especially in something like comedy, which is a as a genre can often date quite quickly because yeah. jokes tend to be quite topical. They're quite of the moment. So I, I, I think for it to do that um, is a rare achievement. Uh, I just think it's a great film. Um,
0: I agree it's a great film. I absolutely agree it's a great film. And it's a, a, a and it
1: is good comedy. But...
0: Yes, it's a great film and a good comedy, is what I think I would...
1: Okay, so you you tell me two comedies that are better than it. Life of Brian. And?
0: Other Monty Python stuff. Um, (laughs) Life of Brian, I think... Life of
1: Brian is not even the funniest Monty Python film.
0: Oh, right, we're going to have an argument about this sometime. Holy
1: Grail. Holy Grail.
0: Holy Grail is great. It's no Life of Brian. Life of Brian is perfect.
1: Mm, No.
0: Okay, I, this is going to take us down a whole other yeah, we're avenue, let's, that one. let's not do this.
1: So apparently there's a Python podcast coming up at some point, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. No. Let's do Python podcast. Okay, yeah, yeah that's April. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know, um, I think calling it a great film and a good comedy is probably my, my assessment of it. I think that fits um, with, with how I feel about it.
1: Well, that, that, that's that's the deal with that. So it's a great film. It's a great comedy. It's got lots. It's great
0: of, film and a good comedy.
1: Good comedy. Um, well, I think it's a great comedy. Um, it it deals with gender in a in a completely different um, way. We very
0: it, daring, very provocative, um, sort of deliberately.
1: So, so where you and I actually agree is that we both think it's a, a great film. Great film. Yeah, definitely um, a great film. But we you possibly suspect it's been overhyped?
0: It's not that. Overhyped, I just, okay, I was going to say it's not that it's overhyped. It's just not as great as the hype, which is the same so sort of over-hyped? thing. Yeah, Um. but I don't feel like overhyped is fair. Um, Are
1: you contradicting yourself? I love this.
0: Yeah, I, I think it, again, I don't think I can get better than it's a great film and, and a good comedy that I really enjoy watching. Um. I'm not sure it would be in my top 10 comedy films of all time.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to leave Rachel with the final word on that one. Excellent.
0: I finally got the final word.
1: You always get the final word. So, what we're going to do, um, we're actually going to keep. <laughs> you didn't in, there. <laughs> I've got to wrap up this show. Um, so we are going to keep in, in this sort of love theme and also these gender issues. So, the next podcast is going to be all about, uh, Annabella is the, 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 love witch. It's not often we actually tell you what we're going to do in ahead of time, but you know, yeah. I, might give people the opportunity to go check it out and definitely check that out, have a listen, and uh, you know, have a wee comment or, or <laughs> do, do you mean, Ben, that you're going to go away and watch this film for next time? <laughs> what, The Love Witch? Yeah, The yeah, Love yeah. Witch. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I'm going so to have to do So lo- we're going to do Love Witch next. Um. So in the meantime, folks, you know, uh, thanks for listening. You know where to find us Nice CinePunked. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and um, we are got our website, www.cinepunked.com. And, um, yeah, if you haven't already, do subscribe, leave us some feedback, and uh, we'll chat to you again very soon. That's good. I'm going to level with you. We can't get married at all. Why not? Well... In the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. I have a terrible past. For three years now, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Um, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect.